welcome again, Medical Education's listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the Editor-in-Chief from the Journal. I have the pleasure today of speaking with Andrew White, who happens to be almost a neighbor. He's sitting in Seattle, uh, about a three-hour drive from me here in Vancouver, both of us enjoying the most glorious, sunshiny day that the west coast of North America could possibly offer. Andrew is a hospitalist and instructor at the University of Washington in the Department of Medicine, and along with a list of co-authors from other institutions, he's publishing a paper entitled How Trainees Would Disclose Harmful Medical Errors, Educational Implications for Training Programs in the April 2011 issue of the journal. Thanks, Andrew, very much for being willing to chat with me today. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. My pleasure. The topic is obviously an important one. I can't imagine having to make a strong case for why the medical education community should worry about medical errors and the way in which we're teaching students and practicing physicians about how to disclose them and when it's appropriate to do so. It's a topic that's been studied a lot and had a lot of thinking put into it in recent years in particular. And so maybe I can start by just asking you what your study offers, that literature that's unique relative to the work that came before it. Sure. Well, you're right. We as medical educators have a tough challenge in that we need to prepare trainees to disclose errors to patients. But the available research doesn't necessarily inform development of the best curriculum. And we know that in practice, physicians in the U.S. as well as in Canada aren't disclosing harmful errors to patients as much as 70% of the time. And closing that gap requires that the next generation of doctors be well-trained to address these conversations. And we need the research base to help inform that training. What we know from the existing research is that probably very few students or residents receive formal training in error disclosure. They learn about it we suspect largely from observation or through the hidden curriculum. And although the prior research has focused mainly on the issue of whether or not trainees do disclose errors, we don't have much to explain how they would carry out those conversations. And that's what our research was intended to address. And I think that having a better understanding of the information that trainees would communicate in one of those conversations can then be used by educators to identify the content that they need more assistance with. In addition, understanding how those sorts of approaches, these conversations change through training would allow educators to develop curricula that are targeted at different levels of training. And you write that nationwide there's a lot of interest in how to improve both attending and trainee behavior around disclosure, but the guidelines are tough to implement, and educators are going to be an important part of the solution as long as we can impart the right communication skills to trainees. So that's the context in which we perform this survey-based study. And you tried to make sure this was generalizable beyond your specific institution by collecting responses from a large number of trainees, over 700, from two different academic medical centers. Are they places that have had a formal curriculum or do the hospitals have formal policies that the trainees should have been aware of with respect to error disclosure? That's a great question. At the time that we collected this data, they did not have formal training programs. 
there were two institutions involved, the University of Washington and Washington University in St. Louis. Now, many of the residents who came from other institutions for medical school may have received training there, but still that was only a small fraction that reported to us they had received some sort of air disclosure training. So at least this pair of representative institutions shows us that there isn't a lot of formal training available to most U.S. trainees. And these institutions did have disclosure policies, but whether or not the trainees were aware of them is something that we didn't assess. Right, right. Okay, so your data really, for the most part, then represent what people bring to the medical context in, in terms of their own impressions about how to deal with these challenging situations. Is that fair? Yeah, that's right. We, we were trying to characterize how they approach these conversations really in the absence of a formal curriculum. As I alluded to earlier, we suspect that trainees are learning a lot about this, but it's via the hidden curriculum or by observation. So right. we're trying to get a handle on what that imparts, what kind of habits that inculcates. And I can't ask you to summarize all of your results in a brief conversation verbally, but if you were to try to draw people's attention to the things that you found most surprising or interesting or most important for the medical education community to be aware of, what sorts of data points would you draw people's attention to? Well, a handful of things. The first is that trainees vary widely in the content that they would offer to patients in these conversations, and that a lot of what they would select to describe errors wouldn't meet what we know patients expect of us. And because we surveyed attendings, a large group of U.S. and Canadian physicians at the same time with the same instrument, we know that their practice habits are very similar to what we found among trainees. And so the second point that I'd raise is that there is probably an issue with role modeling that we need better trained attending physicians and educators who are ready to offer the best disclosure themselves such that they can model it for the trainees underneath them. A few of the other interesting findings that we turned up are that senior trainees, so senior residents in particular, are less likely than junior residents and medical students to offer explicit apologies about the mistake or to address any error prevention steps that they'd take. And unfortunately, that trend runs counter to the kinds of habits we're hoping to promote. The other finding that is similar to attendings is that when the trainee knows that the patient is unaware of the error, they limit the description of the error. So in other words, if they think they're not likely to be found out, so to speak, they will provide less information. And that, again, is counter to what we hope for. We would want everybody to be as transparent as possible after harmful error, regardless of whether the patient understands in advance what's happened. Right, right. That last piece is perhaps not terribly surprising as much as I do readily recognize that it would be counter to what one might hope for. But one of the pieces that at some levels did surprise me, I think it was the third result you said, that the people became less likely to disclose as they became more senior. Do you have any sense as to what might have driven that? Is it simply that they're taking on more responsibility and so it's more of a difficult thing to acknowledge that the error has taken place? Or is there some other mechanism that you think might be contributing to that trend? Unfortunately, our survey didn't 
specifically address the mechanism. We've speculated about what might contribute to this. Decline in the desired practice correlates with what other people have observed with respect to burnout or loss of faith in quality improvement systems. So it may be that the residents feel disempowered to actually affect the quality of care provided so they're less likely to instruct a patient that they're going to do something to prevent a recurrence. There have also been researchers who found a decline in pathic attitudes towards patients throughout mm -hmm. training. And again, we can't, from our data, conclude that those are the drivers of this shift, but they're recognized changes that occur in trainees and I think would possibly account for some of the shift in the behavior and attitudes of residents. Right, and the phrase you used, what patients expect of us, is probably the crucial one in terms of trying to think through how we grapple with these problems and how we help people at every level better understand what the, the expectation and the responsibilities might be. Have you any immediate guidance for others who are charged with creating a curriculum around these sorts of issues, or do you feel like you need to get a bit deeper into more research areas before you could make some concrete suggestions? No, I think we could actually make some concrete suggestions now, some of them based on the findings from this paper. One is that it makes sense to start early. We witness shifts in attitudes about disclosure very early on between the second and fourth year of medical school. So we think that there's a window of opportunity to change attitudes right away in medical school long before trainees are likely to or ought to be disclosing any errors. One of the other things that we think from these results that should affect development of training programs is what I said earlier about role modeling. It really makes sense to train the trainers very effectively as well. So making sure that attendings are up to speed, and in particular attendings who educate trainees, that they're comfortable with their disclosure skills is really critical, especially if a large portion of the training that our students and residents receive, if it remains in the hidden curriculum or on the wards rather than in the classroom, then you really want the people who role model this sort of behavior to be experts at it. I think those are probably the critical things we can derive from this study. One extra thing I would add is that I do think simulations will be an important piece of the methodology of training students and residents to handle these conversations because they're tense environments. They yeah. carry risks with mm -hmm. re relation to malpractice outcomes. And you don't want your trainees being thrown into these conversations without proper preparation. On the other hand, they need to be involved. And so I think having a set of actors, perhaps, or standardized patients with whom trainees can practice these skills, I think is a great first step to get them ready to be engaged in the actual disclosure of an error when it occurs in, the, in their day-to-day -day practice. In fact, this would seem the definition of the sort of topic or issue that simulation might provide useful supplements for because there are situations that you hope people won't have to encounter, or at least won't encounter frequently, and so when they do arise, they're inevitably going to be by accident and unanticipated and challenging to take advantage of that teaching moment. Yeah. 
Well, thank you very much. This is a critically important work, and I wish you the best of luck with your continued research into it and with your continued curricular development. And I want to thank you for sharing the paper. First of all, as I said, it's titled How Trainees Would Disclose Harmful Medical Errors. It'll be published in the April 2011 issue of Medical Education. I've been speaking with Andrew White, the lead author on the paper, and thank you, Andrew, for your time and expertise. Sure thing. Thank you. Thank you.